Ryo had spent a sleepless week trying to figure out the right moves. He had just started a relationship with a stunner from Shanghai and was enjoying life in Singapore. He didn't want to risk losing it all in one stupid move. He had contacted his influential father in Tokyo and was first scolded for being so stupid and then told to seek advice, a code word for conspire with, the family friend, the ambassador, whom was to be given a prior heads up by the father. Very kind of him. The ambassador was more sympathetic to his plight. He had seen this happen before to new young embassy staff, which is why he had always insisted on training. Watch out for the red flags. He told Rio to go through all the required steps of the internal investigation. All relevant department heads have been informed to go easy on him. In my experience, 95% of the cases were false alarms, so don't worry about it, Rio Kun. It was with these assuring words that Rio found himself sitting in the dark, dank room in the basement of the embassy. A bead of sweat trickled down Rio's neck. He was not feeling so assured anymore. Opposite him, silent, motionless, expressionless, sat the mousy-looking man, infamously nicknamed by everyone at the embassy, the Spy Hunter. Hi, my name is Cheek, a film and TV writer, director, and wine enthusiast with a diploma in wine and spirits and a certified sommelier qualification. Wine is arguably the only drink on this planet that can inspire love, hate, snobbery, insecurity, fear, wonder in just one sip. Not surprisingly, that wine can be mysteriously intimidating for those who are curious to know more about it. Combining my twin love of storytelling and wines, I am on a mission to make wines easier to understand and appreciate, one tongue-in-cheek story at a time. And what better genre to start this mission than a spy mystery, a parody of a spy mystery to be exact. And on that note, please remember that besides the wine information in this podcast, name, locations and anything that sounds remotely real are purely a work of fiction. Like wine, the stories should not be taken too seriously. I hope you enjoy the story and in the process, also find out a bit more about wines. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button. The spy hunter had a samurai family's last name, Musashi, but an apology of a first name, Kenta. It was a meaningless name, an incomplete version of the usual Kentaro. His late father had decided to give his weakling of a baby son a nondescript first name to counter the weight of the family's samurai heritage. He succeeded in creating a weasel of a man, outwardly meek but meticulously vindictive on the inside. An introvert with an oversized extrovert ego and a disproportionate sense of self-righteousness. To Kenta, the world was simply white or black, right or wrong. He would not hesitate to convict even his own family in a court of law if he felt that it was the right thing to do. Young Kenta had been the butt of jokes and bullying in school. Not for how he looked. He was neither short nor tall, big nor small, fat nor thin. If the dictionary needed a picture to illustrate the word normal, Kenta's mugshot would have been perfect. 
He was, however, a very normal-looking boy with unique preconceptions, thoughts, and words that somehow seemed to offend everyone he came into contact with. He was also fascinated with things that his peers thought were weird, like how dead things decompose in soil or how earthworms reproduce in temperate climate soil. It was hardly surprising then that young Kenta was not a favourite with either his fellow students or teachers during his school years. Baka, everyone is stupid. They don't know genius if he came through the door now and hit them in their faces. Kenta was convinced that all his ideas, actions and words would be proven right in due time. He secretly worked towards that goal with gusto and managed to graduate from the top public university in Japan and straight onto a job at the Uppity Ministry of Foreign Affairs. However, to his annoyance, it wasn't the prestigious diplomat role that he thought he was born to play. Instead, he was sent straight to the subtly named Internal Audit Department, or IAD, where the most despised staff of the ministry sit. The IAD was filled with mousy-looking men digging through other people's stuff. Officially, they carry out objective internal audits, but everyone knew that this was where the nastiest, most vindictive losers of the ministry carried out subjective investigations of internal problems like leaks, complaint of sexual harassment, and false entertainment expense claims. They had secrets on every staff. Young Cantor would never admit it, but this was the role he was born to play. One of the first things that Hashimoto-san, Kenta's boss, did when he started working at the ministry was to change his name to Ken. Kenta could. Effective immediately, your name is Ken. Ken? Yes, as in, can you do it, Ken? Ken! <laughs> Hashimoto-san cracked up at his own bad pun. Ken looked on passively. What kind of a useless name is Kenta anyway? Did you ask your parents? Doesn't even mean anything. Trust me, it's better for your career. Ken remained silent. So, Ken? Ken it is then! <laughs> Ken nodded silently at this humiliation. Inside, he was a screaming ball of resentment. I will show them. I am better than you and everyone here. Just you wait. Ken's tiny office sat in the secretive and barely inhabited basement of the Japanese embassy in Singapore. He liked this arrangement. Nobody knew what he really did all day and he was generally left alone to nurture his love for soil, earthworms, conspiracy theories, and wines. A closely guarded secret Ken was a true wine otaku with all sorts of qualifications and that requisite snobby know-it-all persona to go with it. He had taken one look at the basement and fell in love with it. For months, he meticulously mapped out the area, took temperature and humidity measurements and found a few spots in that basement that resembled the condition of the limestone caves of Loire, France in tropical Singapore. A miracle! These were perfect places to store a secret stash of over 200 bottles of fine wines. It was a perfect gig for Ken as he was secretly taking the demanding master of wine course and spent most of his days at the embassy either studying, examining soil samples from wine region, attending online seminars or tasting wines. 
He was drunk most of the time and had decided early on in his career to say as little as possible to anyone in any settings, especially in meetings. This ensured that his colleagues wouldn't be able to smell the alcohol on his breath or notice his wine-stained teeth. One of the unintentional side effects of Ken's decision to stay silent was that it added extra layers of mystery and a sense of dread to his persona. People were genuinely scared of others who don't speak much. Ken had capitalized on this fear to his advantage at the IAD. He successfully obtained confessions of guilt from high-ranking officials just by leaving extremely long pauses between his questions and sentences. They didn't stand a chance. They broke down and told him everything. This Jedi mind trick had helped him get promoted so fast that he was sitting above his boss Hashimoto-san after just two years of service. Hashimoto-kun, effective immediately, your name is Hashi. Hashi? Yes, Hashi, like chopsticks. Silence. Trust me, it's better for your career. Ken's former boss, Hashimoto, sorry, Hashi, sat ashen-faced in front of Ken. He seethed with anger but bit his tongue and nodded silently. The corners of Ken's mouth lifted ever so lightly, the closest he ever got to a smile in 30 years of his life. Ken's prolific rise in the IAD, combined with the throw of dirt that he had kept on every minister and bureaucrat in the country, saw him promoted to a plum foreign assignment as the head of counterintelligence for Southeast Asia, based in Swanky, Singapore. Some had suggested that powerful people in Tokyo just couldn't risk having him snooping around anymore and had gotten him out of the country. Didn't matter to Ken, he loved his new post. The spy hunter had an instant dislike of Rio. Two reasons. One, he had resented the ambassador for summoning him to his office like a high school student to be told to go easy on his golf buddy's son, Rio. He was exactly the same type of rich kid with well-connected parents who used to bully him in school. And two, Rio was only moderately stupid, but tall and good-looking. Totally unacceptable. Rio's entire back was wet with sweat. Even his underwear was drenched by now. He had been sitting in this dank office at the basement for three hours, but Ken had only asked some basic questions, listened quietly, and slowly took copious notes. Very early on in the interview, Ken suspected that this was not a case of a honey trap. This rich boy had absolutely no access to any confidential information and Jing did not fit the profile of a Chinese spy. But he had kept this conclusion to himself. Why? He was intrigued with Jing, a gorgeous, smart, cultured woman who liked wines. A rare find. He must meet this Shanghainese stunner. The wheels of a scheme started turning in Ken's mind. But even as the machinations and the spy hunter's mind chucked noisily along with the plan quickly taking shape, on the outside, he was silent. For a long time. Rio couldn't take it anymore. Uh, Ken-san, what do you think? Finally, Ken spoke. Slowly. 
please organize a dinner for three of us at your apartment. Eh? Ryo had to suppress the desire to vomit. Tell Jing that you want to introduce her to your colleague, a wine enthusiast. Uh, you being the colleague? Ken tilted his head slightly to stare at Ryo from the corners of his beady eyes. Ryo panicked. Hi, Ryo Kaishimashita. Okay, understood. Plan secured. Jing was excited when Ryo told her about the dinner with his colleague. She was even happier when she was told that Ken was a serious wine enthusiast. Really? That's great. I have to think about the wine to bring. Ryo could only manage a stupid smile. Ken was at Ryo's apartment two hours before dinner. He felt sick to his stomach that the embassy had given this junior non-entity such a fancy apartment on the 51st floor of the flashy sale at Marina Bay. The power of rich, well-connected parents. These people just keep getting richer and more powerful by doing nothing but trample on real hard-working people. I, Ken, no, Ken Musashi of the great samurai family of Shikoku, the head of counterintelligence of Southeast Asia, has an old walk-up apartment with a panoramic view of an old parking lot. Ryo could not tell that this silent small man was a volcano of hot burning anger on the inside as a calm-looking Ken coolly set about putting recording devices, both audio and video, all over the apartment. Uh, Kenza, are the video cameras in my bedroom really necessary? Ken ignored the question and walked to the dining room. Thirty minutes before dinner, everything was set. There were a total of 20 audio and video recording devices strategically placed around the small apartment. Ryo and Ken were seated silently at the dining table. A large platter of sushi sat in the middle, separating the two men. Kachi Ryo had bought the sushi with the discount vouchers he had gotten from the embassy. It was tense and uncomfortable. Ken sat there silently and unmoving as if intently listening to the silence. No music was allowed as it would mess up the recording devices. Ryo didn't know what to do but stare at the sushi platter and was strangely thinking about the arduous journey the fatty tuna must have taken, all the way from the sea of Hokkaido into the freezer of a fishing boat, then sailing to the city's port to be trucked into a plane in Sapporo landing in Narita Airport and loaded onto another plane for Singapore, then to be loaded into another truck before arriving at the restaurant to be cut up and finally ending up on his dining table. How fresh is his tuna? Thankfully, the doorbell rang. He leapt to his feet and rushed to open the door. Jing breezed in. The usually stoic spy hunter almost fell off his chair when he saw Jing. She flashed a lovely smile at Ken. Months later, Ken would acknowledge that this was the moment that his ever-dependable, objective, cold defensive wall started to crack. Ken was speechless and didn't know whether to sit or to stand and struggled to an awkward half-crouch and only managed to croak a mangle. <laughs> a stupid grin on his face. Ryu noticed that Ken had the exact reaction he did when he first met Jing. For a man so convinced about the ugliness of the world and who had never seen the beauty or goodness in another human being, 
It was love at first sight for Ken. Jane was elegant, super smart, cultured, gorgeous, and to top it off, she had brought the 2006 Donnie Motes Chambo Musini. How did she know? Ken had always fancied himself to be exactly like a good Chambo Musini wine, strong on the inside but smooth and soft on the outside, an iron fist wrapped in a velvet glove. This is my favorite wine and winemaker. Really? Yokata, Jing said with a sweet smile and genuine relief. 2006. This must have been Motesan's final vintage. I guess so. That year, his son Arnold took over when his father tragically died. Ryo had zero idea what was being said and can only nod with a stupid half smile on his face. Ken noticed this and was quietly disgusted. This imbecile had sex with this intelligent and cultured woman. Ken watched Jing closely as she exchanged a few words in Japanese with Ryo and proceeded to expertly uncork the precious wine. A small smile crept onto his face, and not that creepy sort of smile that he usually wore when interviewing his colleagues. A strange sensation that he had not felt since he was a kid was welling up inside him. He was confused initially, but then he realized that he was actually feeling excited. The lyrics of an old Elton John song sneaked into his mind. It's a little bit funny. This feeling inside. Jing held up the open bottle of Shambu Musni. We're supposed to give it some air before drinking. Can you imagine? The last time the wine molecules in this bottle interacted with fresh air was 16 years ago. They must be going nuts now. Jing gave a cheeky wink to her dinner companions. But let's have a sip anyway. We can see how it changes. She quickly filled her glasses and had her wine glass to her nose in seconds. She closed her eyes and took in the aromas: white, red flowers, ripe dark berries, wet forest floor. I am now walking in a lush flower garden under a light drizzle, floral and light, yet dark and strong. All these from just one grape variety, Pinot Noir. Amazing. Ken was taken aback by this apt description of the aromas of Chambon Musini wines. Not even the master of wine training had prepared him for this. He eagerly put the glass to his nose, and immediately a huge smile appeared on his face. Ah, yes, classic Chambon Musini, so seductively light and approachable on the nose. Ken couldn't help himself. He took a big sip of the wine. And spoke with his eyes closed and mouth open with a wide smile, as if caught in a narcotic daze. Rich, ripe, dark berries, prunes, mushroom, no, no, truffles, medium to full body, balanced acidity, all wrapped smoothly in silky tannins, with a long finish. Jing was quietly impressed. This mousy man knows his wines. Rio, on the other hand, was nauseated at the sight of Ken's black teeth and tried to focus on the wine. He noticed what the others were doing and quickly jammed his nose into the glass and inhaled deeply. Again, nothing escaped Ken's beady eyes, even when he was about to get an orgasm from tasting the wine. Look at this fool! He thinks he's sniffing glue. It was at this precise moment of disgust that Ken had a delightful epiphany. The world had been unfair to him.
he was bullied, belittled, laughed at and always had to work harder than anyone else just to stay afloat. Nothing was ever given to him. It was time for him to finally take what he deserved from life. He will take Jing from Rio.